Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you here today. We are in week number three of our Far From Home series for Christmas. And kind of what we said in our very first week is that uh, we can spend the entire year trying to dodge our family members, right? We're avoiding calls and family get-togethers. But for some reason, when Christmas rolls around, we just want to be around those uh, family, well, uh, those closest to us, right? We sing about it in songs, I'll be home for Christmas. Uh, we watch movies about it, right? Think, think of all the Christmas movies that you watch. You watch uh, Home Alone, it's about getting back to your family. Uh, Christmas with the Cranks, getting back to your family. Die Hard, Christmas movie, getting back to your family, okay? It, it's, it's just a part of uh, our culture. It's important to us. And we kind of said that we think that's the case, Because uh, God is a part of a perfect family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are relationed perfectly where they are sacrificing and loving and supporting one another uh, in in the most perfect way possible. Right? And, And God wants that kind of relationship for us as well. And so we said a couple things in our very first week together. We said that... um, Jesus leaving his heavenly home and coming to earth is evidence that God gets us, right? Jesus has been where you've been. He's dealt with the kind of things that you deal with. He's had good days and bad days. He's had to deal with difficult people and difficult situations. He gets us. And not only that, he's not just aware of us. He's not just, you know, we're not just on his radar. When we sing Emmanuel, we are reminded that He's more than just with us or aware, or he's with us. He's more than just aware of us. He's right there alongside of us in battle with you, with me. And then last week, we said that uh, Jesus is God's way of making peace between creator and creation, right? Before we ever turned back toward God, God sent Jesus as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. We found that in the name of Jesus, there is power to save us and reshape the way that we live. We said that peace requires effort, right? I mean, think about the example of Jesus. Like Jesus and bringing peace between creator and creation, like it cost him his life. And when we are trying to, you know, sow peace in the world around us, it requires effort. But it's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit as we continually place our faith, our trust, our confidence in Jesus. And that peace that we're working so hard to attain is the cornerstone of the gospel and it's meant to be shared with others. We read a passage of scripture out of Romans last week. It's Romans chapter 15, verse 13. There Paul said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This one little passage, this one verse makes it clear that Jesus left his heavenly home to bring us hope. Jesus left his heavenly home to offer us peace. Jesus left his heavenly home to give us joy. Now, our culture is really confused, not only about the substance of joy, but confused about how joy is actually attained. See, oftentimes, joy is confused with happiness, but there's a major difference between the two. You see, joy 
is not rooted in the temporary. Joy is rooted in the eternal, and therefore joy cannot be taken from us. Right? Our circumstances will dictate whether we are happy or sad, confident or bold, fearful or timid. Right? But joy isn't rooted in the temporary. It's not rooted in our circumstances. It's rooted in the eternal. The announcement of Jesus' arrival was trumpeted first to lowly shepherds by an angel, and it went like this. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. According to Luke, the angel was a messenger, a herald of an announcement that would bring great joy. Not your regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill happiness. You know, like I just saved hundreds by switching to Geico or school's been canceled because of the snow. We're talking about joy. And not just joy, great joy. And not great joy for a select few. You don't have to be rich or popular. You don't have to be perfect or pretty. The good news that the angel brought was for everyone. And it would be the catalyst for great joy in their lives. Today, I want to look at a familiar passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. But before we do, we need to lay a little bit of clarifying groundwork. Okay? First of all, we need to just, right off the top, understand that we live in a culture that's riddled with intrusions and interruptions. All right? Our flights get canceled. Our plans get changed. Uh, people show up to our houses unannounced, and oftentimes when they do, uh, they want more time or more money or whatever than we actually have to give them, right? That's, that's life, right? You sit down to the, to the table, what happens? Telephone rings, right? Every time. You can almost predict it. That's life. Um, Amanda and I, we had a trip scheduled back in October. Uh, we were going to go enjoy the sunshine and the sand. We were going down to Florida, and the plan was uh, she was going to go away for the weekend for the ladies' retreat. She was going to come home about 6 o'clock, be there long enough, literally, for Judah and me to hop in the car. Like, we were so excited. We were so ready for this trip that she actually had the car packed before she left for the ladies' retreat. Okay, we were ready to go. Amanda goes to leave the ladies' retreat, and she gets about a quarter of the mile from the camp, and the car starts making this really crazy noise, right? It it sounded terrible. So she calls me, and like, I'm a mechanic. What am I going to do? But she's like, and I could hear the dread in her voice. She's like, babe, the car is making a crazy noise. What should I do? I don't know. So you know what happened? She turned around. She parked the car at the camp, uh, and it ended up needed quite a bit of work. Lucky for us, uh, we have some amazing, generous folks in our church family who said, "Uh, we've got a van. Why don't you just take our van to to Florida and and, just just go enjoy. It'll be fun. And while we can't always count on the generosity of people to help us out when things go sideways for us, we can almost always count on life bombarding us with intrusions and interruptions. Just this week, like we spent like three days without heat in our house. 
Amanda was at home, uh, and she, she thought that she'd smelled gas a couple times, like natural gas. It got to the point where she's like, okay, I'm going to call Southern Indiana Utilities. So she calls Southern Indiana Utilities. They come out, and they're like, oh, yeah, you got a couple leaks here in these old pipes. No gas at our house means not only did it get cold, but, you know, our water didn't get heated. So, like, I spent days without showering. People didn't want to be around me, wouldn't look me in the eye. Uh, I lost friends because of it. Um, I thought they were friends. Anyhow, point is, like, it, it was a real intrusion on our on our week. But this is reality. And this reality is even more true at Christmas time, right? Like we, we can't find the gift that we want to get our spouse. So we go from place to place to place in search of it. Or we can't find a parking spot at Walmart or at the mall. So we circle the parking lot like it's Talladega, right? We cook for 12 people and 19 show up. This is life, And for those of us who are not go-with-the-flow kind of people, Christmas can be a really frustrating season because of all the intrusions and all the interruptions and all the unpredictability. You know, it just really messes up our routines. Well, Luke chapter 2 begins with Joseph and his very pregnant fiance saddled up and traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem for a government census. Okay, nothing about this See, nothing about this scenario is convenient. Okay, fellas, if, if you had the pen and the paper, this is not the story that you would write. Not for yourself. If I gave you the pen and the paper, you would write something radically different. Right? You, if it was you and your fiance, you'd probably um, choose to wait maybe a couple years before you have kids. Right, So you can get to know your spouse a little bit, so you can enjoy spending some time you know, getting to know your, your, your wife or your husband a little bit better. Right? That's what you would do. Right? You'd want a little bit of stability. And I don't want to be crude, but you'd probably, in an ideal situation, if I gave you the pen and gave you the paper, you'd probably be the, you know, choose to be the one to get your wife pregnant. Right? If I gave you the pen and gave you the paper, this is not the story you'd write for yourself, fellas. This is inconvenient in every possible way. Ladies, if you were eight months and three weeks pregnant with your first baby, you'd probably not choose, you know, if I gave you the pen and the paper, you'd probably not choose to be saddled up on some donkey or some mule, right? You'd be scheduling visits to your doctor. You'd be going to Lamaze classes, right? You, you would not be on the back of some pack animal, I mean, you're tired, you can barely breathe, you're in constant discomfort, you haven't slept in what feels like forever. If I were Mary, I'd have Joseph massaging my feet and rubbing my varicose veins. He would not have me slung atop some pack animal for 90 miles like a sack of old taters. If I had the pen and the paper and I went, that, that's same with you, right? If, if you had the pen, you had the paper, you'd write, a different story. This census was an inconvenient government-created intrusion on the people who were just trying to live their lives. Rome didn't care about the strain that it put on its citizens. These circumstances wouldn't make you happy. It wouldn't be what you planned. There's just no doubt about it. Then we have these shepherds. 
And uh, they're doing what shepherds do. They're, they're hanging out and they're watching their sheep. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now bear in mind, this was not a flattering job. You see, in Israel, shepherds were viewed as outcasts because their work made them ceremonially unclean. All right, their job was far too demanding for them to observe all the purification rituals and washings that the law expected of them. So you got like the Pharisees and they're constantly washing their hands. They're, you know, dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Shepherds, they're spending days and weeks at a time out in fields with dirty, smelly animals. They couldn't jump through all the hoops the way that the Pharisees could. And so they're considered ceremonially unclean. But... To their credit, shepherds were hard workers and they were dependable. They were devoted. And generally speaking, they were practical people, right? They weren't the type of guys who would allow others to pull the wool over their eyes. See what I did there? Pull the wool because they're they're shepherds. Come work with me, people. Come on. Uh, They're just, they're they're practical, everyday kind of fellas. But this is important. It was too regular everyday, hardworking, blue-collar men, like many of you, that the king's arrival was first proclaimed. Not in some dusty lecture hall or some ornate temple, but to a handful of shepherds under a starlit sky in the company of a bunch of sheep. It's ironic that Israel's greatest king, King David, was first a lowly shepherd and now his heir is first announced to the same sort of men. But I want you to pay special attention to their demeanor. These shepherds, um, uh, on this unprecedented night, they, they experienced something that's kind of, kind of crazy. You see, unlike David, you know, their ancestor, their predecessor, Uh, He was a mighty warrior. He killed giants and he slaughtered wild animals with his bare hands, right? He's a real tough guy. But on on this particular night, these shepherds don't look quite so bold. Verse nine says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Now we really should give them the benefit of the doubt. We should cut them some slack. I mean, Uh, they didn't clock into work that night expecting to see an angel. Think about it like this. If you woke up tomorrow morning, you know, you're going to have a crazy week. You know, Christmas is coming. You woke up tomorrow morning. Maybe your alarm didn't go off quite as early as you hoped it would. And, and, you know, you get up and you're going to kind of stumble into the the kitchen to get yourself a cup of coffee so that you can get yourself going. and, And you look up and you see an angel is making coffee for you. That would blow your mind, right? That, was, that is not on your radar. That was not something that you would expect. Or, you know, you get your keys and you're, you're going out to your car and you look up and on the hood of your car sits an angel. Like, that's kind of the, they did not clock into work that night thinking, oh, we're going to witness history. It wasn't on their radar what they were about to behold. And so they were terrified. And because of like the Hallmark Channel, We tend to think of angels as beautiful, you know, chubby little babies or whatnot. But the scripture is is pretty clear. Angels are terrifying. In fact, when we see angels and angelic creatures in the scriptures, 
Typically, they're going to have multiple sets of wings and lots and lots of eyes. And every time we see angels in the scriptures, human beings are immediately terrified in their presence. Not just, oh, goodness, I didn't see you there. Absolutely panic-stricken, terrified. Our word angel is the Greek word angelos. It's the Hebrew word malak. And it just means messenger. But in spite of their terror that they felt in that particular moment, there was an important message that the shepherds needed to hear. Forget that their expectations for a routine evening had just been tossed to the floor. Forget the dread that's running through their veins. The angel's message wouldn't create fear, but rather it would be the catalyst for joy. Joy not for shepherds alone, but for all people, the entire world. Verse 11. says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now we've got to be really clear here, okay? The news, this is going to be the most important thing that I'm saying all day, so hear this, okay? The news of a savior is only good for those who recognize they are enslaved. I'm going to say that one more time. The news of a savior is only good for those who recognize they are enslaved. If we don't believe that we are oppressed and enslaved, then the idea of a savior's arrival, the news of a savior's arrival can be comical and maybe even offensive to us. Think about it like this. Let's say you, you know, you've got this car and it just needs some routine kind of maintenance. Maybe you need to go have new brake pads put on it or you need to have an oil change. So you take it to your mechanic and it's there for you know, 45 minutes or something like that. And then he comes out to you and says, oh, hey, got those brake pads done for you. You need a new engine though too. Come again, right? Like, if you got that news, right? You, you, your initial reaction would probably be some combination of shock, disbelief, and anger, right? You went in for something routine. You weren't expecting this huge thing, a new engine. You weren't expecting to have to maybe dole out thousands of dollars. Thing is, very few people will welcome that news and then cheerfully accept being sold something they didn't really want. Even fewer people are going to willingly, joyfully pay for something that they don't think that they need. If your car's been running fine, right? You've not been hearing any noise. You don't have a, a light come on on your dashboard. You're going you're gonna to fold your arms. You're going to take that news with a fair amount of skepticism. You're not going to jump at the chance to put a new engine in that thing. If a person doesn't believe that they are oppressed and enslaved, then the idea of a savior is going to be met with resistance and reluctance, and maybe even hostility. The Israelites, they had known slavery for almost their entire existence. First, it was Egypt. Later, it was Assyria and Babylon. Then Persia, Greece, and ultimately Rome. So Israel had longed for the arrival of a deliverer who would vanquish their foreign oppressors. 
and set this captive nation free. What about everybody else? How does Israel's savior result in joy for the entire world? Not only had Israel been the punching bag for surrounding nations, what's more important is they'd spent their entire existence enslaved to sin. Israel was supposed to represent God for the world around them, for the nations around them, so that the world might learn, might come to know who God is and seek to have a relationship with him, might hear him and obey him. Remember, God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to experience that kind of community that he has with the Son and the Spirit. But Israel's struggle with sin sabotaged their holy purpose. In reality, Israel was in the same boat as the rest of the world. They were enslaved to sin and they were doomed, but for the intervention of a Savior. Yesterday in our men's Bible study, we read Romans chapter 3. And there, Paul concluded that the Jews and the Gentiles alike were all under sin. And then he quoted a handful of Old Testament passages, one of which was King David. And King David said this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, the Jews had lived physically oppressed and enslaved by nations for centuries, but mankind has lived spiritually oppressed and enslaved by sin forever. The good news is the Messiah had finally arrived to set things straight. Now, Luke mentions the manger three times in Luke chapter 2. And it adds a very intimate human touch to this really beautiful scene. Now keep in mind that uh, there may have been lots of other young couples in uh, town at this time. Right? Remember, because there was a census. Everybody was going to their hometown. There may have been a lot of little babies in Bethlehem from all over the region, but there would be only one sleeping in a feed box. This odd sight, this newborn baby in a manger would function as a sign to the shepherds that something cataclysmic had taken place before them, that something out of this world had occurred, and it would confirm that what the angel spoke was in fact true. Now, have you ever considered that the shepherds were made privy to to classified information? The, the, The baby's messianic identity would have been a secret to everyone except for Mary and Joseph. So finding a baby in a manger would be proof that the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, had in fact arrived. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Guys, we've been talking about this for 2,000 years. But don't miss the fact that at the time, nobody knew what Mary and Joseph knew. And suddenly, a bunch of shepherds show up out of nowhere because they've been made privy to this secret. Can you imagine 
what their appearance, what their arrival, the arrival of these shepherds. Can you imagine what it must have done to Mary and Joseph's faith? Yes, the angel had told them that, uh, you know, who the baby would be. But now they have even more confirmation, even more evidence of this awesome secret when the shepherds show up. Now, can you imagine what actually seeing the baby in the manger must have done to the faith of the shepherds? The sight of the baby in the manger is proof that God is up to something that's bigger than any of us, and he's working through unexpected people and unpredictable circumstances to address the brokenness that we see in the world. The baby in the manger is an invitation to experience joy. And not just regular run-of-the-mill happiness, but joy, a joy that can't be taken from us because it's not a feeling that came from us, but a Savior who came for us. Nobody would have written this as their story. No man would have chosen an already pregnant fiance. No woman would pick a 90-mile donkey ride in her third trimester. No hardworking shepherd would have volunteered to be scared stiff by an angel sent from God. The fact is, you may be living a story that you too would never have chosen to write on your own. You may be wading knee deep through a sea of holiday intrusions or just good old-fashioned life interruptions. You could be spending your days fighting off creditors and your nights fighting back tears. You could be wrestling with the guilt of the things you didn't say or the grief over the things that you have said. You might be mired in misery or overwhelmed by the ordinary. I don't know the ins and outs of your circumstances. I don't know everything that you've experienced. I don't know what you're bringing in with you this morning. But I can tell you that joy is possible despite our circumstances because joy has never been a feeling that came from us. Joy is a, is a savior who's come for us. Eugene Peterson once said, all suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed. Sow it in God and he will finally bring a crop of joy from it. You may be living a story that you'd have written differently with circumstances that would look a lot better. Maybe higher salary, maybe warmer scenery but you can still have joy. You can still have joy even when you're living in a story that you would have written differently. Because joy isn't a feeling that comes from us. It's a savior who came for us. Verse 17. When they had seen him, talking about the shepherds seeing the baby, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had uh, been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Guys, joy is contagious. It spreads. And 
the joy of Jesus' arrival continues to spread some two millennia later. As we wrap things up this morning, I just want to ask you to consider what it is that you're spreading this Christmas. Are you spreading joy and jubilation or trial and tribulation? Gosh, the world is broken and it desperately needs a savior. We desperately need a savior. Are our words and our deeds pointing the world to him or keeping the world from him? I know life's struggles can weigh us down. And that's okay. Life's struggles can weigh us down and that's okay because there is joy to be found in Jesus' coming. Joy is possible despite our circumstances because it was never a feeling that came from us. It's a Savior who came for us. The scripture says that Mary treasured all these things, the shepherd's arrival, the news that they brought, the identity of her baby. She treasured all these things in her heart. And if you've never welcomed Jesus' arrival into your life, and decided to treasure him in your heart, we want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. We believe that when we confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, when we repent of our sins and are immersed into Christ, we are declaring that Jesus is what we treasure the most. If you've never done that, if you've never before a group of people declared that Jesus is your treasure and you want him more than anything. We give you the opportunity to do that today. We invite you to make that decision to repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ. You just need a family to belong to. We're not perfect, but we would love for you to join our church family. If life is just punching you in the face and it's wearing you down and you just need somebody to pray with you, We're going to have some folks in the back and we would love to be there for you, to pray alongside you, regardless of your circumstances. Because Jesus came, we can have hope, we can have peace, and we can have joy and the world cannot take it from us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to leave his heavenly home and come and dwell with us in our earthly one. Father, there's folks in this room who've never made Jesus their savior, never treasured him above all else. Father, I pray that you'll give them courage and confidence, that you'll speak clarity to their souls. God, you're so good. And we thank you for loving us and pursuing us before we ever turned our faces to you. You're a good God. You're generous. You're a father who loves your creation. And we just thank you for including us in your family. We love you and pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.